welcome to the Reliance Community Podcast. Worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock or 10.45 a.m. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Amen. How many love you some Jesus today? Amen. If you're a visitor, welcome. Um, We we love that you guys are here (coughs) um, with us and joining us today. Uh, We're just one church in the city. Um, just chasing after the heart of God. There's many others out there, um, but thank you guys for coming and joining us. If you're regular, always good to be with family. Um, we, we've been talking about faith and this idea of increasing our faith. And so today is really just part two of a sermon we started last week that we didn't get to finish because of time. Imagine that, right? We ran out of time. So we're just going to kind of finish up what we were talking about last week. And if you missed it, I, I want to... Um, I want to recap a little bit. <clears throat> we feel like there's this, I, I guess, a, a, a term or kind of a quote that's kind of been on our heart. And, and it's really stirred our heart here at the church. And it's this, that we want to have faith to match his faithfulness. We want to have faith to match his faithfulness. And you heard me talk about it last week. And I said that the problem with that is this, it feels like it's this unachievable thing. To be able to say we want faith to match his faithfulness, we feel like it's this kind of unachievable thing because God is so infinitely more faithful than we'll ever have in faith, amen? Like it never runs out. His measure of faithfulness just knows no boundaries at all. And and so in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20, Paul says, to him who is able to do immeasurably more then all we could, th- we could ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. And so more than you and I could ever imagine or ask for, God can do immeasurably more. Amen? And so this is faithfulness of him that never runs out. And so our goal, our heart is that in partnering, we're so excited about what you're doing. We, we just, we want faith, Lord, just come alongside you, knowing that you're infinitely more faithful than we could ever be, <laughs> than we could ever be. And so um, this is really what kind of stirred that is we, we want an increase in faith in that. And so I, I talked about how faith is really, uh, it's, it's maturity, it's, it, it is a growing thing. You don't just necessarily come into this full measure of faith where you never doubt or worry or fear. There's this maturity, like how you were 10 years ago in Jesus has probably changed from how you are today. We're, we're growing in that. It's, you could say that faith is, is a journey. And uh, I don't know about you, but I had one of those families where um, I feel like we, we would always pick a destination for our vacation, but the vacation was never the destination. The vacation was the journey to get there. Amen? You guys know what I'm talking about? I'm talking like the Griswolds. I'm talking about like, you know, family, like National Lampoon's family vacation. It wasn't about where they were going because when they got there, if you remember, it was shut down, right? It was about the journey to get there. And, and so... Um, I was at the Joy Conference this weekend, and I heard a quote from Joel Power and, uh, Powers, and he said this. He says, God is interested in the outcome. He absolutely is. He's all-knowing. God knows the outcome. God is interested in the outcome, but he's in love with the journey. And he goes on, and he's basically saying, God knows the results. He's, he's all-knowing. He, he, he's sovereign. God knows the results. He's going to get what he wants. He knows the results. However, he loves to see us be faithful in the journey. And, and I think about my life growing up with my brothers and my mom and dad, and, and I really feel like our, our hearts, when we would plan a vacation, it was never about the destination. 
It was about the journey. I was sharing a story with first service. I, I remember a vacation in particular. My dad was in ministry. He's going to do a wedding, and it was out of state. So he just decided, like, we're going to go do this wedding out of state, and then we're going to turn it into a family vacation. And so I remember my dad was one of those guys where he loved the journey. So a trip that should have taken, like, you know, six hours was 16 because we went the back roads. Anybody back road family? You're like, seriously, worst thing ever. So he would love to take the back roads. And I remember we, we came upon this lake. I don't remember what lake it was. It was in another state. We were traveling through to do this wedding. And we came upon this, this lake, and it had this huge beach. And all these vehicles were out there, Jeeps and trucks and everything. And my parents, we drove this big conversion van, right? Like, um, and my dad had this idea. He goes, well, they're out there on the beach. Let's go out there on the beach. So he, we, we mutter down in, into the sand, and we're out there, and we're hanging out, and we see the van, and it's sinking down into the sand. Like, I'm talking all the way up, you know, past the rims. And we're like, Dad, I don't think this was a smart idea. And you don't, you like, question, I didn't question, we don't question our father. You know what I'm talking about? He's one of those guys, right? And, and we're like, Dad, I think he's like, don't you, right? He's like, I can get out of here. All these four-wheel drive vehicles are coming up, Jeeps, trucks, they're like, what were you guys thinking? And he's like, I'll get out of this thing. So he's flooring it and we're just burying it all the way down. Boys, get out and push, right? And we're like, oh, worst vacation ever, right? So we try to push it out, can't do it. Five different four-wheel drive vehicles had to lock on to pull us out of this place. I'm just telling you, it was like the best worst vacation ever, right? Looking back now, all these years later, I don't remember what, we, I don't remember what state we were in. I don't remember what we did. I don't remember the destination that we went to. But I remember vividly the journey. <laughs> vividly, I remember the journey. And I think so many times in our life, our faith is so much like that. We're so fixed on the destination. And yes, the destination, God knows. He knows where he's going to get us. He knows where he's going to get us. The question is, are we faithful in the journey? I remember uh, one more thing with, with that, just because it's coming up on our three-year anniversary, just kind of Dance Community Church. This April will be three years. I remember when we uh, made that just kind of desire to say, hey, we're, we're going to step out in faith and, and we're, we're going to start Reliance Community Church. We had zero, no bank account, zero, zero bank account. And um, we had this building that we could purchase for roughly a million dollars. So we're like, okay, God, this building's a million dollars and coming in faith and we're just going to pray. We're just going to pray, Lord, you've got, you know, you've got that million dollars. And uh, we, we decided to do a little Jericho walk around the land. So all 18 acres, we're like, Lord, we're going to walk around the, the land and we're going to walk around the building. We're just going to declare, we're just going to shout it out, declare that you can do all things. You know, they did that with Jericho, the walls came tumbling down. Amen. So we're like, we're just going to shout out. So we're walking around. If you came to the vision night, I shared this as well. You've probably heard me share this another time. But we're walking around, and we're just like, Lord, you're our provision. You've got everything, Lord. You've got a million dollars. And I remember looking down, and I see a, a, I see a bill in the grass. And I, I scoop the, the grass away, and it's a dollar bill. It's a dollar bill. And I remember saying, Lord, I, my wife says I'm really not good at communication. I didn't say a dollar bill. I said a million dollars. Maybe there's more under here. <laughs> Right? I'm like, and, and, and in that moment, the Lord wasn't showing me, you know, the million. It wasn't, he wasn't worried about the million dollars. He was like, do you see that I'm faithful for every dollar? And so I'm, I'm going to say this because this was a radical thing of faith. Within like six weeks, 
um, $250,000 came through from you guys, faithful men and women, so that we could begin the start of purchasing this building. Three years ago, zero, zero dollars, six weeks, $250,000 came in. We found a dollar, $251,000 came in, found a dollar out in the field. And the Lord goes, I've got you. I share that because he wasn't so much interested in the destination. Like he knew who was going to be in this building. He knew what he was going to do with that. He wanted to know if they're going to be faithful in the journey. Amen. I share that because our desire as a church is that, you heard me talk about this, recap what I shared last week. Our desire is momentum is happening and, you know, as we see more folks come in, our desire is not to say, oh, yeah, that's, that's what we want. Just, you know, more momentum, more of this momentum Momentum or increase in, in numbers, all those things are, are great, but time will tell. I'm going to share the same thing from last week. Time will tell if it's genuine because in my opinion, and, and, and I believe this wholeheartedly, um, momentum is true momentum where there's an increase in faith in that. When, when, when there's something that's transforming our hearts, not just a gathering, but there's something that's transforming our hearts, there's an increase in faith, and we're seeing radical change happening in our hearts. And so um, we, we, we shared how sometimes that creates tension in, in our life with Christ. So as we're trying to increase our faith, there's tension that wages war in our hearts. And it's why so many times in scriptures, it talks about do not lose heart. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not lose heart. And in 2 Corinthians 4, 16, a verse that we read last week in verse 16, he says, Therefore, do not lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. He says, do not lose heart. You're wasting away outwardly. Inwardly, you're being renewed. Now, if remember, I said that Paul was the one who wrote this. Paul shipwrecked, Paul beaten, Paul stoned almost to death, Paul in prison most of his life, Paul naked, Paul cold, Paul hungry, all of those things that happened to him, all of the ways that he was persecuted, all of those things. He goes on in verse 17 and he says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving let me say achieving, are achieving for us an eternal glory. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Why is that word achieving so important? Look, God knows that there are going to be trials in your life. God knows that there are going to be difficulties in your life. God knows that there are going to be mountains in your life and places that you feel like, I can't come over that. There, he knows it. And what he's saying is those mountains, those trials, those tribulations, they're achieving. They're doing something. They're achieving in you something that far outweighs them all. Because if we didn't have mountains in our life, if we didn't have trials in our life. We didn't have troubles in our life. We wouldn't need faith because we did it all. So those trials that are in front of us, those mountains that seem insurpassable, they are there. They're achieving for us what? Faith. I, I can't do it on my own. I, I can't make it over that. It's not about the power that's, that, 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 that I'm trying to build up inside of me. It's not about what I bring. I was... It's about faith. 
I was sharing in first service, um, many of you guys probably remember in the kind of late 60s, early 70s, um, in, into the 70s, was a, a movement called the Jesus Movement. You guys remember the Jesus Movement? Swept through the United States, and man, people were getting saved right and left, and it's when coffee houses started growing like crazy, 19, 20-year-olds in there, just loving Jesus, going after him, this passionate movement, great things birthed from that. And then, and then you rewind to where we're at today, and my parents got saved in the Jesus Movement. Saw tremendous ministry happen, and I was talking to my mom about this the other day, and, and uh, she was telling us about the Jesus movement and, and all those things, and, and I said, Mom, you keep in touch with the people that, that you did ministry and life with, all these people that got saved in the Jesus movement. She goes, you know, Aaron, one of the sad things that I see now about the Jesus movement then is that all of these people had radical transformation, but she said, now when we call our friends and ask them, are you still faithfully serving the Lord, they all say no. You have this movement that blew through. People are getting radically transformed. 20 years, 30 years later, people are going, we're, we're not even following the Lord. 40 years later, we're not even following the Lord. And, and I, I began to say, Lord, when we pray for an increase in faith, we're not just praying for movements. We're not just saying, Lord, would you bring another Jesus movement? We're saying, Lord, would you just come? Would you just bring Jesus? Because Jesus is forever, Amen. Jesus, movements come and go. I'm all for movements. I want movements. I want another Jesus movement. Blow through. Let there be a Jesus movement. I'm all for movements, whatever. But I just want Jesus. So when, when we talk about praying for an increase in faith, we're not saying, God, would you just do a movement? Would you just do something? That's great. Awesome. Awesome. What we're saying is, God, would you just come? Would you just come? Would you just dwell? Would you just be a... Yeah. Amen. <laughs> I could go on forever, and that's not the message. So... Um, so Jesus, he, he gives us the warning, and I want to recap that in Matthew 24, 12. And he says, literally, he's talking about his return, and, and he says this, and this has gripped me. He says in Matthew 24, 12, because of lawlessness, because of wickedness, because of sin, because it's increased most, and that word has just bothered me, even from last week to this week, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. Why are we talking about an increase in faith? Because I believe that Jesus is always true to his word. So we're talking about an increase in faith because the tendency, the tension that we have is that everything in this life and everything that the enemy wants to do is just simply to let your hearts grow cold. To not increase your faith. In fact, to either decrease your faith or demolish your faith. And so... Uh, one of the issues, I think, the tendencies that we have in our life, one of the things which I think causes our faith to waver um, is, 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 is who we've been following. following. And uh, I had a great conversation with a guy who's a mentor in my life, Carl, and, and, and we were talking about how we're, we're really facing this faith crisis of always constantly redefining who Jesus is. Every generation, it seems like, redefines Jesus. Every generation kind of redefines who Jesus is. We're trying to redefine God's word. We're trying to redefine who Jesus is. And, and so we have this tendency of going, I don't know if I really know who I'm truly following. I have a faith crisis because I don't know who I'm truly following. Because we're constantly redefining who Jesus is, redefining the word. And so you have people who are following a hundred different versions of who Jesus is. Who is he? 
And typically the way that we redefine Jesus is we redefine Jesus to look more like us. We redefine, how does he suit me? What is, what is he about? He looks like me, he talks like me, he thinks like me. I'm gonna redefine Jesus because if I can define him that way, then I'm good. And all of us, each generation too, we redefine Jesus. And I was a youth pastor years ago, young in ministry, and, and I wanted to know leadership, leadership, leadership. And so um, I was hungry uh, for, for uh, what, what, how God was moving in church leadership. And I watched this thing called the elephant room. And the elephant room was this kind of brainchild of this pastor who goes, I want to bring six, seven pastors in. They were growing churches, growing ministries, and we're going to interview them. We're going to ask them hard questions because these three guys kind of fall on this side of the theological spectrum. These three guys kind of fall on this side of the theological spectrum. All of them believe in the main tenets of faith, Jesus Christ crucified, died, buried, third day, rose again. I mean, they were all baseline same in terms of some of the non-negotiables, but different on other ways, just kind of these little nuances. So I'm watching this thing unfold years and years ago, and a guy named Mark Driscoll, um, he's just a very, in that time, was a very honest guy, and he said a quote. Mark Driscoll said, some want, this is his quote, some want to recast Jesus as a limp-wrist hippie in a dress with a lot of product in his hair, who drank decaf and made pithy zen statements about life while shopping for the perfect pair of shoes. Look what he goes on to say. In Revelation, Jesus is a prize fighter with a tattoo down his leg, a sword in his hand, and the commitment to bring justice. That's a guy I can worship. I can't worship the hippie diaper halo Christ because I cannot worship a guy I can beat up. I fear some are becoming more cultural than Christian. And without a big Jesus who has authority and hates sin as revealed in the Bible, we will have less and less Christians and more and more confused, spiritually self-righteous blogger critics of Christianity. Mike, I mean, literally, man, I was like, whoa, I can get a tattoo down my leg, right? Like, let me... <laughs> I will, and I will sh short, short, so you see it, Fisher, all right? Here, here, here's what I love about this. Look, if I'm redefining Jesus to look more like me, a guy who struggles with faith that feels like I can't get over the mountain, and this is the way that Jesus looks to me, then neither one of us are getting over it. But if I look at Jesus as the way that Scripture defines a man coming in with a white horse, riding with a sword coming out of his mouth and fire in his eyes, there's nothing that he can't stop. That's why we sing the song, you have no rival, you have no equal, because no one rivals the king of kings. This is the Jesus that the Bible defines. And here's this holy tension. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Here's this one. So yes, he came as the spotless lamb, as the spotless lamb, crucified on the cross. His blood covers our sins. That's how he came, the servant leader, loving, 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 spotless lamb. We love it. We need it. That's what saves us. Amen. The blood of Jesus on the cross. Thank you, Jesus. But then you've got this. So he's got this lamb thing going on. But then you've got this other place over here where it says he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. And so in our life, when we're talking about increase in faith, we're saying, yes, we have faith that you are the spotless lamb slain on our behalf. And yes, we have faith that you're the lion of the tribe of Judah who's coming back. I can make it because you made it. 
There's a way because you made the way. Mm. Amen? So I want to encourage you, if you're at a place of faith right now, your faith can increase. You, you don't have to stay here. I shared this Second 2 Thessalonians 1.3. Paul says we, we ought to always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, rightly so, because your faith is growing. Your faith is increasing. Other translations say it's growing exceedingly. I want to be known as the place where our faith is growing exceedingly. And then in Luke 17.5, after Jesus is done talking with the disciples, he tells the apostles say to, to Jesus, they say, Lord, increase our faith. They understood something. We can't do it. It's the power of you inside of us that can do it. Increase our faith. And so we built on two things. We said, first of all, the way that the Lord's power in us works to increase our faith is that the first thing we have to do is we have to feed on the word of God. Feed. It's our food. He talks about it's our daily bread. It, it, it's look, your sustenance, feeding on the word of God. It doesn't happen on a Sunday morning. Amen. If it does, then here's what I want to challenge. You eat, you eat for one hour a day on Sunday and then don't eat the rest of the week. And tell me, do that week after week. Tell me if you enjoy that. Amen? So, so here we are. We know we're people. We want three square meals a day. Some of us want snacks in between. Amen? And, and, the, and, and the Lord is saying the word is like your food it, daily. Like it's your sustenance daily. The more that we are in God, word feeding on it, it brings assurance. Oh yeah, I don't have to worry. It brings confidence. Oh yeah, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Oh yeah, it brings faith in my heart. Man, if God can do the hall of faith in Hebrews 11, he can do it in me. Everything Jesus was teaching his disciples, he was downloading what he was getting from his father's heart. And so... Romans 10, 17 says, how does faith come? Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So I'm listening, I'm reading, I'm hearing the word of God and there's this birthing in my heart, a calling in my heart, my heart's been touched and I'm coming into him. Now here's where it gets interesting because here's what we sometimes have a tendency to do, which is why the Lord wants us to really take heart in this thing. In Hebrews chapter 3 verse 12, uh, the author says, see to it brothers and sisters that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving, everybody say heart, that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So, so our encouragement of saying keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith is because the enemy wants to harden your heart towards that. And he goes on and he says this, we have come to share in Christ if we indeed, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. I don't know why, but that just jumped out me this morning at 9 a.m. That word original conviction, we're not redefining who Jesus is. He's the original. As just has been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all Moses led out of Egypt um, and with whom he was angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, those whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? Verse 19, so we see they were not able to enter because of their what? 
So that quote where he says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the day of rebellion. He's referring back to something that happened in Exodus chapter 17. In Exodus chapter 17, the author of Hebrews is referring back to that and he's saying, look, in, the, in Exodus chapter 17, do you remember when Israel was delivered? Do you remember when they came out of slavery? Do you remember 400 years of crying out to God? Do you remember all those tears shed for 400 years? These men and women that were saying, save us, save us, save us. God comes in, delivers them out of slavery and persecution, walks them through the Red Sea army behind them gets swallowed up by the sea, says, I've had you all of those, all that throughout that time I've had you, everything that you contended against, I saved you from, and then all of a sudden they're in the wilderness, and they're thirsty, and they're mad that they don't have water. And they tempted the Lord in Exodus 17, and they said this, is the Lord among us or not? You want to kick somebody in the grill right there? Is, this was their word. Is the Lord among us or not? I, the sea? It parted? The army? Swallowed up? Manna? Bread? Fall, I mean, just seriously. Is the Lord among us or not? I wonder how many times the Lord is saying, like, feed, feed on my word, feed on my word. You got to know it. You got to know it. it's going to build assurance and confidence. It's going to increase your faith. Feed on my word. Let it be your daily bread. Remember, remember, remember. And then, and then if, we, if, if, if we have a trial or a tribulation that comes, we're like, oh, yeah, God, you. Oh, yeah, God, you. Oh, yeah, God, you. I wonder. If sometimes the reason our faith isn't on the increase is because we're not dwelling in God's word. And so we kind of remember the Lord moved a few times. And so we say, is the Lord among us or not? We got big dreams coming. We do. I, I, there's big dreams coming. And I'll tell you, there's a tendency in my heart to say, Lord, are you among us or not? And he's like, did you find a dollar bill in the grass? Do you think somebody planted that there? So we're feeding on the word, and then why do, we, why do we eat? We eat to give us nutrients, right? Nourishment. It fuels our body. Why does it fuel our body? Because we have to get up. Because we have to do things in life. So we feed on the word of God, and the word of God then says, now take what you're eating that's fueling your body and go exercise with it. Right there, that word exercise, half you guys are like, I'm out. I'm good with the food. Exercise, it is, literally in scripture, we've got to exercise, put it in to practice. Now I know this sounds like something that you've heard a thousand times, but listen, exercise and putting it into practice takes work. Sports field, I wish that we were all rock stars in like anything we touched. I wish I could walk out onto a sports field, pick up an instrument, walk into a new business, whatever, and just be a rock star, Right? It just doesn't happen. Usually, you got to put in the time and the practice. You got to learn your skill. You got to learn your trade. You've got to put in the time and the practice and the effort if you want to achieve. And the same thing is when we're exercising our faith and we're putting it into practice, it's the same thing. It takes practice. For three years, the disciples were put in opportunities to exercise their faith. 
It wasn't a coincidence they were in a boat and storms were coming. They were exercising their faith. Jesus is going, I want to see your faith. It literally says in Scripture, God led them. God led them onto the lake. He knew the storm was coming. It wasn't a coincidence 5,000 people needed to eat plus. He was exercising their faith. You feed them. It wasn't a coincidence that he put them into situations that they felt uncomfortable in to share the gospel message. It wasn't a coincidence that there were times where they encountered these people who had like a demonic thing on them and they were kind of freaked out by it. He wanted them to exercise, put into practice what they believed. Paul tells us in Philippians 4, 8, 9, he says, whatever is true and, and noble and right and pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned, received, or heard from me or seen in me, put it into what? Put it into practice. I love this. Put it into practice and then underline this. And the God of peace will be with you. Lord, how come I don't feel peace? Oh, I got to practice this thing today. So if we want to see this increase, if we want to see this increase of faith, we're feeding on the word, we're putting it into practice, and what that develops within us is a word that we all love, and it's a word that our kids cling to. It's a word that you guys cling to. It's the word obedience. <laughs> obedience. This comes with obedience. Let me, let me show you something crazy. You know the greatest, the greatest faith that Jesus encountered in 33 years of ministry on earth? did not come from the faith of John the Baptist. The greatest faith that Jesus encountered in 33 years of ministry didn't come from his mother Mary, didn't come from um, any of the 12 disciples that were following him. It says that the greatest faith that he encountered came from a Roman soldier. A guy who conquered his people. A Roman soldier who rode into Jerusalem, Israel, conquered the people. In Matthew 8, verse 8, we read about this where a soldier, a Roman centurion, comes to Jesus desiring for his servant to be healed of leprosy. And Jesus says, shall I come and heal him? And this is what the soldier said in verse 8. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. I want, I want to say something about that. Basically, when he says, I, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, he's telling Jesus, I'm not one of your followers. I'm not following your way. I'm a Roman soldier. Like, I, 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 don't, I don't know that he's saying, I believe that you're even the son of God. I, I, I don't know that he's saying, I even believe that you, that you are God stepped down. He's saying, look, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. He, he's been watching Jesus. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one to go and he goes and this one to come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does, he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was, somebody say amazed. amazed. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Now I, I told him first service, I'm going to tell you the same thing. I, I want, this is amazing to me that Jesus says when he heard this, he was amazed. If I have a life goal, I want it to be that Jesus says, man, what, it, what Aaron did, that amazes me. Amen? If I have a life goal, I want it to be said, man, what, what, what Aaron did, I'm amazed. Right now I feel like it's more like what Aaron did, oh, dear Lord. <laughs> Amen? So I'm trying to say, I'm trying to turn my ship here, all right? 
And then he does something. <laughs> I love this part. Jesus hears what this guy says, a Roman centurion having this faith, and he says, literally, he says he was amazed, and then it says this, and he said to those following him. You see the disciples back behind him, and all these people been faithful to him, you know, been working it out, been working it out, and I can just see Jesus going, <clears throat> very truly I tell to you, right? I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I can see the disciples going, oh, right? He's trying to show them something about faith. You're out here, you're working, you're working, you're trying, you're trying, you're, you're doing this, doing great, great job. Here's a man that doesn't even, I mean, I, he literally said, you don't, I, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. Like, you don't know me, but I know you. I've heard about you. So I'm coming in faith, believing that you can heal my servant with leprosy. Listen, church, the level of faith that we walk in seems to be, there seems to be this proportional level of faith that we walk in proportional to our submission and obedience to him. The, the greater our obedience, the, it seems to be this level of faith grows. I have not seen faith like this in all of Israel. Here's a guy who has no idea that Jesus is the son of God. But he has this understanding that when Jesus speaks, he carries authority. And so he puts his faith in the authority of Jesus. The disciples and, and Paul, part of the reason, you know, from, from kind of the end of the Gospels into Acts after they're filled with the Holy Spirit, you, you notice a shift in what they fear, and it's not much. They don't fear going to prison. It doesn't seem that they don't seem to fear death. I mean, I'm sure that they have the flesh rise up at times, but there's just like, whatever you want us to do, we've counted the cost, we're, we're in. So much so that Peter, you know, they're like, we're going to crucify you. He's like, okay, do it upside down. Because I don't deserve to die in the same manner of my Lord. It's, it's like this, uh, I don't fear that anymore. Because my faith has gone to a place into whom I believe and the authority that he carries. I've seen the resurrected Jesus. That's what Peter's saying. I've seen him. You don't, you don't freak me out. Do you know what Peter seemed to fear when you read in the gospel, in the, in, 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 from kind of Acts on? He didn't seem to fear death. He didn't seem to fear prison. But he did seem to fear man still. Because he wanted the approval of the Jews when him and Paul had some tension. It's amazing how much the approval of man can become one of our greatest fears. Another, another time we'll talk about that. So I want to take the pressure off of you for just a minute today. Because the pressure in Ephesians 3.20 talks about living by faith in him comes from his power. And to go back to what we read at the start. Now to him who is able, not to you who is able. Amen? Good news? To him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power. Somebody say his power. His power that's at work within us. That's doing Everything that we do increase faith. Everything that we do to partner with him in the kingdom, it's him that's doing it. <laughs> He's just working it out in us. And so, so, so when Jesus places this increased faith in our life, you'll find the greatest satisfaction 
that you've ever had in your life. Not because your trials and tribulations and mountains have been moved, but because you know that if he's in you and with you and you have that faith in him, he has authority over all those things. Ah, man, we guys come up. We're, I want to do something before we run out of time. We got about 10 minutes. So listen, Abraham's life, same thing. Noah's life, same thing. If you get a chance, Hebrews 11, go read it again and again and again and again and again. You have Abraham after waiting for years, you know, you know, he gets his son Isaac. Right after he gets his son Isaac, the Lord says, now go sacrifice him to me. And it was just like, boom, Abraham's like, I trust you. And he had faith. I, Noah, Noah's the one who kind of blows, blows me away. You got Noah who's building a boat 500 miles away from the nearest ocean. A thousand times bigger than he needs it to be for his family. And he starts filling with animals. You want to talk about somebody who's absurd? You've got this guy because God told him, because God told him, not everybody else, God told him to start building a ship 500 miles away from the nearest ocean, a thousand times bigger than could fit his family, and start filling with every animal because God told him some drops of rain are coming. And, 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 and everybody, like everybody around him is going, absurd. This is weird. And sometimes I'm wondering, do we have the faith to follow when it seems crazy and absurd? miracles this weekend is at that joy conference I'm going to share this with you I think it's so so important whether you believe it or not doesn't matter I believe it at this joy conference and a, and a group from, from Redding California came in and, um, just been seeing God do a lot of healings and stuff a lady from Wichita actually a lady from Wichita flew out with a lady from this church they flew to Redding to a conference this lady, when she flew out, had just found out she has stage four breast cancer. She flies out, they're in Redding, California, at this conference. And they have a night where they say, you know, if you need some healing, we just, we just wanna pray over you. This lady goes forward, she knows she has breast cancer, stage four. She gets prayed over. She flies back to Wichita. She goes through her tests week later, whatever, whatever it is, a couple weeks later, the blood results come back that she's completely healed of stage four breast cancer from Wichita. This group from Reading, they were actually here this weekend. The guy who prayed for her was here this weekend at New Life Covenant at their joy conference. He's sharing this story. He's sharing the story and everything in me goes, that seems so absurd but I believe it. <laughs> and then, you know, your, your flesh rises up and you're like, please, Lord, let it be more than a story. Let it be more than a story. Let it be more than a story. Lord, I believe it. 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 Today, today, just today, I shared this at nine o'clock. I shared the story. Didn't know about the person from Alliance. The person from Alliance comes up, says, tears streaming down her eyes. She goes, I was with that lady and she just texted me. She's completely healed. And God is faithful. I needed that for my own faith. And God is faithful. 
And so here, here's what I'm saying. Like, when, when, you're wa- when you're walking in the things of God, it may seem absurd. You see a bunch of people gathered around somebody praying for their healing, and, 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 and the results are God's. Amen? The results are God's. But we're saying, God, we just have faith. And I just want to see this increase of faith when we're saying, God, we just want to believe your word. Even when somebody says it's weird, it, that's absurd, we want to believe it. I want to believe it. I want to trust it. So, so in just a moment, we're, we're going to sing this song. It's uh, called God, God of Revival. It's, it's not a, we're not organizing. I don't want you to all stand up and just sing the song back to the band. That's not what I'm asking this morning, will you, will you bring that last slide up here real quick? There's, there's some things the Lord laid on my heart. Tonight, I want you to come back tonight. Listen, I want you to come back tonight, please, because there's some things that I believe that God wants to do corporately tonight. The three things that we're praying for across the city, 40 plus churches, we're saying, God, you're, you're going to bring prodigals home. Men and, men and women that once had a faith and their hearts grew cold, you're going to bring them back. You're gonna bring them back. They, they, had, they had tasted and they'd seen that you were good. Somewhere down the line, they were shipwrecked in their faith. You're, you're gonna bring them back. And we're gonna say, Father, let there be a redemption of the city. You're gonna break the strongholds, God. People are gonna hear more about the good things in Wichita than the bad things. And then we're saying, Father, that you're gonna revive the church again. Not, not just this church. You're gonna revive your body again across the world, across the nations, across the United States. You're gonna revive your church again. You're gonna revive it. But, but so, so I wanna pray that tonight. I wanna pray that today as well. But if this is you personally, if your fear, if your fear has dictated your faith, I want you to replace that today. And I want you to take the dreams that God has given you that you've shelved because you felt like they were too big, and I want you to pray in faith today for those dreams. And this last one, I'm going to invite the prayer team. Will you guys come up, prayer team? I want to believe in what the world calls absurd and Jesus calls natural in his kingdom. I want to believe in healing that can transcend anything that you and I go, uh, I just don't. Is it? I want to say, God, you can do all things. If your marriage is a wreck, if your life is a wreck, if your physical body is a wreck, if you feel whatever mind is a wreck, I'm just going to ask you, if you believe that to come. So here, spread across the room if you want. Turn around in your chairs and get face down. Stand up. Get to the sides. Come to the altar. Go to the back. Whatever. Just don't sing a song back to the band. I want you to lock eyes with a man with fire in his eyes, with a sword out of his mouth and a tattoo on his leg, saying that he's coming for you. And if your heart has grown cold, then it's time to reignite it and heat it up. Amen, church. So Jesus, in your name today, we're praying, God, for an increase in faith in this place. We believe your word is true. We feed on it. We want to exercise it and practice it. We want to go after it and believe it. And so today, God, we say you're the king of kings. And God, you are the one that's authority over all things. And that when you speak, you have authority over all things. And so we want the faith of the centurion God who came, that there was no greater faith that he had found in all of Israel that says, whatever you say, it will be done. We believe that in the name of Jesus today. In your name we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Thank you.
listening today. If you want to find out how to get involved, go to reliancecommunity.org.